If you were in court and the judge called you to his bench, I dare say that you wouldn't say a word unless you were invited to do so. And then you would only do so with the utmost of courtesy and respect. How much more should we, when we come before our Heavenly Father, do so in humility and respect? Can you picture yourself bowing in the presence of the Lord right now? He is the awesome, all-powerful God seated upon his throne in majesty. Can you picture yourself bowing before him right now? Three months after leaving Egypt, the Hebrew people came into the Sinai Desert. They camped near the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai. It's here that the Lord comes near to his people. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been considering the awesome scene as the Lord came near to his people, as he descends upon Mount Sinai and as he speaks to his people. We read these words in Exodus 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and the sound and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. We tend to minimise or or underrate the holiness of our God. And although we know him as our friend, he is our friend, we often fail to give him the respect, the reverence, the devotion that he deserves. Our reverent fear of the Lord should also keep us from sin. He is the awesome God, overwhelming, amazing, fearsome, terrific, all-powerful, holy God. What a privilege it is that we are able to come into his very throne room in prayer whenever we choose. But as we read the Old Testament, it's always good to keep in mind that this is a God in a progressive revelation of himself and his ways. Back in Exodus 6-7, he declared, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And so in chapter 24, Exodus chapter 24, we read of the confirmation of this covenant in Exodus 6-7. And it's here that Moses builds an altar out of 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they are welcome to come to the Lord and the stone represents that this will be a permanent relationship, a permanent arrange excuse me, a permanent covenant. The people are then invited to offer sacrifices on that altar. 
and half the blood of the sacrifice was to be dashed against the altar to signify that it was only through the shed blood that the people could come to God, that they could come into his presence. This was how God was demonstrating that he was taking these people as his own. No one was exempt. All were accepted through the shed blood. I will take you as my own people. All 12 tribes were welcomed through the blood. No one was exempt. And so following the confirmation of this covenant, Moses then ascends the mountain once more to be with the Lord. And this time he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's during this period, whilst Moses is receiving the instructions about the building of the tabernacle, and that's what we're thinking about today, the tabernacle, that we also read about the golden calf. And we considered that last week. And again, it appears that the people were growing impatient. And they demand that Aaron make for them some form of a god that they might worship. Beware of impatience. We can become impatient with God. And when we do, when we become impatient with God, we soon start to direct our own paths. We can make relationships worse. We can manipulate people and circumstances. We can create a fight that didn't otherwise exist. We can create worry and distress, division and disunity, all because we get impatient and we try to make things happen. We try to hurry God up, whereby we build our own golden calf. And the anger of the Lord was such that he was prepared to wipe out the people and make the offspring of Moses into a great nation. But Moses prays and he appeals to the Lord on their behalf and he asks the Lord to remember that they are his people, to remember his reputation and to remember his promises. And again, we're thinking about that last week. And the Lord relents. But what I find really amazing at this point is that not even the most foolhardy act of human willfulness and rebellion would deflect the Lord from his chosen purpose, which was to dwell amongst his people. Nothing would deter him. We may impatiently rebel, But God patiently waits and patiently forgives. And although the people demand for a God, albeit a a dead golden calf, God determines that he will be their God and he will live among them. Reminds me of the words from Luke 9.51. Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Nothing was going to deter him. Nothing was going to deflect him, distract him. 
Nothing was going to deter God from living amongst his people. You see, it's through the building of the tabernacle that God fulfills the second part or the second half of this covenant, I will be your God. By pitching his tent in the middle of their tents, God was identifying with his people and declaring that he was with them. He had determined to live among them and to travel with them, to guide them, to lead them. There are times when God allows us to experience him in in very special ways. However, these tend to be the exception rather than the rule. So we need to be very careful not to go chasing after an experience rather than chasing after God himself. And a second danger in chasing an experience is that we, we may inadvertently open ourselves up to a false experience from a false spirit. So let's be satisfied in the presence of our God, however he chooses to reveal himself to us. And in this instance, God chooses to pitch his tent in the middle of their tents. And so all of the requirements for the building of the tabernacle and its fixtures were completed by the people and this process took quite some time. Verse 17 tells us that the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. And so it took seven to eight months to manufacture or to produce all of the necessary pieces, the items involved in the building of the tabernacle and its enclosure. Many of the Hebrew people were involved in that process. Much of the wealth that the people had acquired as they left Egypt went into the manufacture of the tabernacle. This was a a portable dwelling for the Lord. And after everything was put in place, Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle. Upon its completion... And we are told in verse 17 when it was completed. But upon its completion then there were just 14 days until the people would hold their very first Passover celebration since leaving Egypt. It was almost 12 months to the day. Two weeks left from the building or the the setting up of the tabernacle to the Passover celebration. Twelve months had gone by. It was a time for them to have it very much refreshed in their own minds. The mighty and redemptive hand of their God and Saviour. They had experienced the amazing miracles of God, the plagues, the release from slavery. They had visioned they had seen there was this cloud of glory standing between them and the Egyptian army while they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground there was this cloud of glory over Mount Sinai and the and the receiving of the law of love and then we come to verse 34 then the cloud covered the tent of meeting And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, then they did not set out until the day it lifted. And so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. Remember, this could have been something like two million people that could see the cloud of glory both day and night. There can be no doubt that this was a supernatural phenomenon. A cloud by day, a fire by night, the glory of God signifying his presence, it was visible for everybody to see. Didn't matter how far out from the the tabernacle you were camped, you could see the glory of the Lord was always visible to everyone. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord had come to show them that he alone was their salvation. He alone, God alone, was their protection. That God alone was their guide and their direction. There was no doubt that God was now in the building, now living with his people, now travelling with them, now leading them. And in one sense, the tabernacle could have been called Emmanuel, God with us. But God would save that name for Jesus. God with us. And now because we live on this side of the cross and we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, God is no longer just in one location but in all hearts who will believe in him. Originally the blood of the sacrifice was dashed against the the altar to signify that it was only through the shed blood that the people could come into God's presence. Now... The coming of Jesus and the shedding of his blood has established his permanent presence with us, offering us forgiveness and direct access into God's very presence. He is not only with us, he is not any longer with us from afar, but he is with us and within us when we invite him in. Now, Jesus was so keen to return to glory. I think one of the reasons was because he knew what that would mean for us. He said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. God is with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
God is with you, with me. He is with us. Paul wrote, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God is no longer restricted to leading through physical movement as it was with the tabernacle, but now the Holy Spirit speaks into our innermost being. The Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our guide, our comfort, our counsellor. He is the gift giver the fruit producer, the life transformer. He is the heart changer. He is within us. Well, over time, one of the failings of the Hebrew people was that they became accustomed to God's presence and they didn't actively seek the Lord. They took his presence for granted. We too can become accustomed to a spiritual lifestyle whereby we're not really seeking after the Lord. We can take his presence for granted. It's like we, we slip the car into neutral and we just coast along. And of course, when we slip the car into neutral and we coast along, then eventually it But in Scripture, we are often called to set our minds on the things of the Lord, the ways of his ways and his heart. We are encouraged to seek his face, to seek his presence. And this setting of the mind is the opposite to mental coasting. It is a conscious choice to direct our heart and our minds toward the Lord. A conscious choice. It's a purposeful act. Paul said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Do it. Set your minds on things above. The writer of Hebrews, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. And the wonderful news is when we seek after the face of God, when we seek his presence, then we are promised to find him. Jeremiah 29. You will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear you. I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. James put it this way, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you're looking or seeking after the presence of God, seeking his face, you will find him. And so the tabernacle was a a precursor, if you like, a a sign of better things to come, a, a pointer toward the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Can I encourage you, if you're coasting along at the moment, take it out of neutral, put it back into gear and actively seek after God through his word and in prayer. He 
He is the awesome, all-powerful, holy God who indeed deserves our respect, our reverence, our devotion. Fix your eyes on Jesus, meditate upon him and spend time in his word. Don't just say you're going to do it. Do it. For God is with us. The heart changer, the life transformer, the fruit producer is with us. Let's not take him for granted. So will you turn off the TV? Will you put down your phone and set your mind on things above? Amen? Amen.